what goes up must come down. Welcome to the Brand Breakdown. I'm Michelle. And I'm Courtney. And this is where we're going to track the rise and fall of big brands, from companies to celebs to pop culture phenoms and everything in between. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Breakdown. Today, we're going to be talking about the wedding of um, Princess Catherine and Prince William. So I'm going to pass it over right away to our royal aficionado, Courtney, and let her take it away. So William and Catherine were, last um, episode, we had talked about how they were engaged. They got engaged. They announced their engagement in November. They had been engaged a month earlier in October while they were on vacation. Um, And so with royal weddings, one of the really interesting things about royal weddings is that although they're such huge scale events. Their engagements are really short. Um, their engagement was officially announced in November 2010, and their wedding was April 29th, 2011, which is not even six months. November, December, January, February, March, April. It is exactly six months, I guess. Um, so, or it's like five and a half. So they plan these huge, massive events with like six months notice. I, my wedding was very normal wedding and I had to be, I think I was engaged for 15 months. Um, and I cannot imagine having to have planned that any sooner than I did. Um, so you didn't have a whole staff doing your wedding. Touche. I did not. (laughs) Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess, but so, okay. I still had however many guests and you have to like coordinate schedules of the, you know, like if, my grandmother had an important important thing or was going away. You have to make sure that important people are going to be there. And William and Kate's wedding, which we can discuss the guest list a little bit in depth later in this episode, but they had to consider some pretty prominent people being able to attend. So making sure all of these schedules are aligned and the venue, because they can't just go get married at like any old church. You know what I mean? There were some pretty specific options that they were, that they had available to them. Um, so they planned this huge event with tons of security. The the dress, which I mean, that I feel like that dress alone probably took you it know, probably like took the, the whole, whole six entire, months. Yeah, the whole entire six months, every minute of it. Um I love that dress with every fiber of my being. It was so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Um it was ridiculously beautiful. Yeah. It was we'll talk about the dress as we kind of go along. We'll do a whole little portion on it, but the dress was just stunning. Kate and William, they get engaged. Wedding date is April 29th, 2011. It's a Friday. I know that you said that you and your daughter had a little tea party. Mm-hmm. She was four years old. I had mm-hmm. to work that day. I wasn't, I wasn't even engaged yet. I had no kids. Um, but I woke up so early in the morning, sat there, watched that wedding, cried as if I knew these people. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like the happiest day of my life. Um, and I sent you a picture of us, right? Didn't I send you a picture of my daughter in her little tiara and her no. princess dress? Oh my God. I totally have it. I'm going to send it to you. It's so cute. Oh, it was like so four cute. o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was fresh. Um, so yeah, this was kind of the wedding of the century it was interesting we hadn't had a royal wedding I say we as in like the general public hadn't gotten to watch a royal wedding for a few years William and Catherine's was the first one in the British royal family um since Fergie and Andrews no I'm sorry uh Edward and Sophie Sophie yeah yeah Edward and Sophie were married in 1999 and then I don't remember watching that one at all I don't think theirs was really I'm sure it was televised but it probably was not a big deal um unfortunately <laughs> for them <laughs> but you know the queen's fourth son he also at the time Sophie and Edward were both kind of doing the half in half out royal model where they were you know they had private jobs she worked in a PR she owned actually a PR firm um he was doing that movie production situation so they weren't really full-time working royals they weren't exactly the public figures that they are now so their wedding while a big deal didn't get as much attention in the U.S. and I don't think even today with them having stepped up significantly their royal role I still don't think in the U.S. a, a Sophie and Edward event gets as much attention as it should because those two are fantastic in my opinion um 
I honestly but don't so, know a whole lot about them. Never noticed them, oh, honestly. They're what that's kind of that's kind of their shtick. They uh they just kind of do good work and blend into the background a little bit without taking away like the epitome of supporting the monarch. Like they are not in it for themselves. They are in it to support the institution of the monarchy and their role as essentially ambassadors of the UK. And they do a great job at it. And Sophie and Kate are actually pretty close. So when you see them out at engagements with the whole family, Sophie and Kate are usually hanging out with each other and it's very adorable. Um, And they have two young, well, their daughter, I think is actually, I think maybe in her third year at university and their son, I think is in his final year of whatever the equivalent of high school is, I guess they call it college in the UK. Um, And so they've, while their kids have been growing up, they've also been kind of taking like a quieter approach to everything. Um, so the interesting thing about the wedding date of April 29th, 2011, and this wedding being held at Westminster Abbey in London is that although Westminster Abbey is known at for, it's known for coronations, it is known for royal weddings, it is known for royal funerals, it is also just a quote unquote normal parish church. And so I believe it is actually a royal peculiar, but regardless, we can get into that stuff later. Um, but, you know, people go there for service on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. I've and, been there. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a huge tourist attraction, but people also just, you know, when they're going to church, that's where they go to church. So there was an ordinary couple who had also been intending on getting married at Westminster Abbey on April 29th, 2011. And six months before their wedding, they received a phone call saying, hey, can you please, we've got to change your wedding date. And I imagine at first there was a little bit of indignation and being like, excuse me, what? Because I cannot imagine if someone told me I had to change my wedding date. Um, And then they were told Prince William and Kate Middleton at the time, Kate Middleton, um, are going to be getting married here on that day. And so they've interviewed the couple and the bride said, you know, when I found out that's what was happening, I was happy to give up the date. But they did have to kick someone out (laughs) of their preferred wedding date in order to hold their wedding on that day. So... That was kind of, I always found that very interesting because you forget when you look at those, you know, when you look at Westminster Abbey or St. Paul's or any of those kind of big historic places, you forget that they're not just reserved for royals. Like they are, they do serve a function in the community and that even though we see them during royal events, they are just also used every single day by ordinary folks. Um, So Williams... William and Catherine's wedding was not a state occasion. Although William at the time was the second in line to the throne, he was at that time still just Prince William. And he did not, they didn't make this a state occasion. This was not something where there was going to be um, the level of required attendance by other dignitaries or as extensive as a guest list of dignitaries. However, although it wasn't a state occasion, there was still nearly 2,000 people there. So still a massive, massive event. Um, So I'd love to know what makes a state occasion as opposed to their wedding. Like what makes a state occasion? So state occasions are extremely formal and there are a lot of requirements on who has to be included in attendance. So There's requirements for specific UK politicians. There's requirements for specific dignitaries of other countries. When it's a state occasion, it's as if, I I don't know exactly the specifics, but, you know, the prime minister of every single Commonwealth country would have to be invited. The prime ministers of, you know, ally countries would have to be invited. So it becomes a much more political event than a private event. I believe also with a full state occasion, there are more requirements around different members of the peerage who've got to be included. You know, that's when you see all of the dukes and duchesses and countesses and earls and everybody showing up to things where they may not necessarily know these people, but part of their job as a peer is to be at these state occasions and kind of roll out the carpet for the UK. This was not a roll out the carpet for the UK type of event there they didn't have to require uh they did not have to follow all of the specific formalities of a state occasion and the strict guest list of a state occasion 
However, so so ahead. even though there were two thousand people there, um, they were more intimate. It was a more personal thing. So, k- kind of, they had more room to invite friends and family and private individuals, but they did also still invite a lot of politicians. There was a ton of UK politicians there. There were some prime ministers from other countries. I believe Australia and New Zealand. Um, there was a lot of, because, you know, William's still at the end of the day, he was second in line to the throne. He was a future King. So there was still kind of that political element of just to, you know, keep our closest friends close, you know? So there was still that element of a little bit of politics, but they had a lot more room to invite their personal friends and families. They invited some representatives of William's charities, um, And there is a story, I think William actually told it, where, you know, they were planning the wedding and they were given a guest list. And William and Catherine looked at the guest list and they were like, we don't even know like a lot of these people, not just some of these people. Like, we don't know a lot of these people. And with this guest list, we're left with like 10 spots to include people we actually know and like want to um spend our special day with and so William went directly to his grandmother and said listen what can we do about this because like we want to be able to include you know Kate's cousins and my Spencer cousins and our friends from university and all of these people and there's just no room here and the queen said tear up the list start over we are going to start with your guest list and we will fill in the blanks from there And so that's actually how their guest list of, I think, like 1,900 people ended up being built is that they threw out the official guest list and they started with, you know, the close personal friends and family, um, the people who work directly for William at the time, a lot of people who were involved in some of the, like, Princess Diana Memorial events. They had done a big concert a couple years prior. A lot of those people were invited to attend, a lot of... William's charity people, um, a lot of William's military friends, his friends from like, you know, Sandhurst and his time in the RAF, they were invited. So that was a very interesting take because we hadn't seen really a royal wedding that was that personal to the couple. You know, Charles and Diana's wedding was a state occasion. Andrew and Sarah's wedding was not a state occasion, but it was we it was as much it was smaller than Charles and Diana's obviously um but it also had you know a list of politicians and dignitaries and foreign royals and all of that um who were all still at William and Kate's wedding it's just William and Kate were given the freedom to invite people they actually knew <laughs> instead Which of is a million strangers <laughs> All right. So speaking of people you actually know, so um, the British people do it, their weddings differently in terms of bridesmaids and um, the children and the flower girls and the flower boys or, you know, um, not the flower, flower boys. boys. <laughs> what are they ring called? Bearers. Uh, ring bearers. <laughs> ring bearers. Um, so they do it a little differently. Like, you know, for mm-hmm. me, I had, you know, multiple bridesmaids and then I had one little tiny flower girl and Um, you know, I'm sure you did as well, but they do it differently. So tell us a little bit about how that's different and who Kate chose and why. So in the UK, their bridesmaids are usually, I don't want to say usually because it kind of has varied from wedding to wedding and time to time. And I'm sure public, I'm sure private citizens do it maybe different than public citizens, but For the most part, bridesmaids are usually just a gaggle of flower girl aged type people. Um, They're not women who are the same age as the bride. Typically, you see this a lot more at royal weddings and like aristocratic weddings. Although I have seen some aristocratic weddings and weddings for people in the peerage where their bridesmaids were a group of people, a group of women, the bride's own age. Um, For example, Chelsea Davey was a bridesmaid for, I want to say, one of the Percy, I think it was Melissa Percy's wedding, the um, Duke of Northumberland's daughter. Chelsea Davey was a bridesmaid in that wedding, and all of her bridesmaids were her age. So, but for royal weddings, typically, the bridesmaids are younger girls in the family or who are friends of the family. A lot of times, you'll also see that it's the goddaughters of 
the couple. Um, I just want to check something though, because I think, yeah, so this seems to be a generational thing. It's really interesting because we know that for Princess Diana's wedding, her bridesmaids were mostly young girls. Kate's wedding, young girls. Even Pippa Middleton's wedding, young girls. But at the Queen's wedding, the late Queen's wedding, she had eight bridesmaids who were all women who were about her age. So, Oh, weird. So when did that yeah. change? I am not really sure. I think it has more to do with including women of rank. And if there are enough women of rank that are your age, then it can work out. The other thing is that they don't really do... While the bride almost always has bridesmaids in the UK, the men don't usually have groomsmen. So there's usually page boys and the page boys are always young boys. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think they are older than like 13 at the most. And so I think there may also be an element of if there's enough page boys to go around and enough young little girl bridesmaids to go around, then you have a party of all children. If you don't, then the bridesmaids can kind of be of varying ages. But for example, during um, the queen's wedding, she was Princess Elizabeth at the time. She had eight bridesmaids. They were her sister, Princess Margaret, her cousin, Princess Alexandra of Kent. So two HRHs. And then um, Lady Caroline Montague Douglas Scott. That's a three barrel hyphenated name. Lady Mary Cambridge, the Honorable Pamela, Pamela Mountbatten, the Honorable Margaret Elpinstone and then Diana Bowes Lyon, who is a cousin on her mother's side. So they were all women that were her own age. There was a lot of family members there. Um, the Honorable Pamela Mountbatten, I believe, is related to both Philip and the Queen, but mostly Philip's side. Um, but otherwise, I believe they're all related to her. So I think it's just a matter of if you have enough cousins who are your age, <laughs> like sisters and cousins who are the same age as you, then your wedding party can be grown-ups instead of kids but it wasn't like they were wait ladies in waiting because we got rid of that a while ago right like that wasn't during elizabeth's reign in any way right because um, i know no, they, like um the queen still had ladies in waiting and um camilla has changed their title they're no longer called ladies in waiting they're called ladies of the household i think um but they still have them and the way it works is it's a rotating position so let's say there's a pool of 10 ladies in waitings who are all, you know, members of the peerage or like close personal friends, they rotate through engagements. So for one week, they attend all of the engagements with the queen and then they're, they're off. And then the next week they switch it out. Um, I don't think the pool is actually 10 people. I think it's like four. Um, but yeah, they still have ladies in waiting. They just don't, it's not, it's not like in Tudor times when you think of this woman who's like standing there waiting on you hand and foot and like holding your dress. Um, right. It's a little bit different. But, okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just wanted to clear that up because it's so different here. Obviously we have, you know, bachelors and bachelorettes and groomsmen and, you know, mm -hmm. you know, bridesmaids and whatever. They also have in England, the cock and hen party. Is that right? And we have like, um, what do we call them? Oh my God. A bachelor a and a bachelorette party. Bachelorette, yeah. bachelor and, and bachelorette have, party, but it's a, they have a hen, and hen. Is that right? Yeah. A hen I don't know if they call the guys. A cock party, a stag party. They call them a stag. Stag, party. stag, cock, yeah. stag. Which I mean, <laughs> is they're close. It's funny because, like, up here they call them a stag party too. Like, it's I hear the phrase yeah, like stag party very commonly. Little. Yeah. Um, and then a hen party or a hen do instead of a bachelorette party. Um, the so cock and hen would make better sense though, because if you're I'm a hen, then you it. hang out with the cocks. Oh yeah, no, don't Google that. I'm like, <laughs> there are some <laughs> phrases that I'm like, I'm curious, but I never want to type that into Google. <laughs> no, Heaven don't Google forbid. that and don't ever Google pantyhose because <laughs> that oh, is geez. so bad. Yeah, oh, I did a no. campaign one time for um, a really big pantyhose brand. And so I was trying to Google things about pantyhose because I was writing a campaign and I accidentally put into Google like, you know, who wears leggings and who wears pantyhose? Oh, sweet oh Jesus. Don't ever, <laughs> don't ever Google that. And don't ever, ever, ever click on images. 
ever. I had to call like the IT people and be like, oh my God. You're like, I'm sorry. Something happened. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was awful. Anyway, moving on. Um, Noted. So, um, <laughs> oh my God. It was awful. Uh, um, so, all right. So we, we have the little ladies. They're not ladies. We have the little, um, bridesmaids they're like mm-hmm. goddaughters and things like that wasn't yeah. one of sophie's daughters a, a little bridesmaid yes so kate had obviously we know pippa was there and we we recall the dress um so we had we pippa got out of trouble for saying for that dress was I really know, beautiful someone complained. was really offended i know and hey listen we were not trying to be misogynistic or sexist or anything we thought she looked absolutely fantastic and we were yeah. both jealous like and you know it what was- she knew she looked absolutely fantastic like it's it's not as if we said anything that was great. Well, and the dress here. the way that dress fit her it was uh, i mean i've never had it anything just, fit me that beautifully right it was literally like when you say something was made for somebody yes that it was, was like just perfect crazy. perfection it was like it grew out of her own skin like it was mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a weird image but it was crazy how beautiful that dress was i've only had like one bespoke dress and it was my wedding dress and i did not look as good in my wedding dress as she did in that bridesmaid's dress like it was insane. So we were not being misogynistic when we were talking about how beautiful she looked. Like that's no. just a fact. It's just right. a fact. So anyway, mm-hmm. I wanted to clear that up. I haven't had yeah. an opportunity, but now I did. And we can uh, we can talk about you know the tailoring of bridal wedding gowns and what that's meant over the last few years because obviously there were some there was some drama around a certain other royal wedding where oh, the tailoring yeah, yes. was not great, but Catherine, the, all, all three Middleton women, actually, um, I will not count their sister, Alize, because she has like a much more like boho chic type of style, but Carol, Catherine, and Pippa, they understand the value of a good tailor. And those three women, every, like, they could be wearing jeans and a t-shirt and it still is all tailored perfectly to their body. I actually read an article a couple of years ago that was saying that when people buy clothes off the rack, we, you know, you look at your jeans and say, oh, I'm a size whatever. I'm going to take these jeans. I'm going to take them home. And the way they fit is the way they're supposed to fit. But that's not clothes or how clothes are meant to be made. You're meant to buy clothes that fit you reasonably well, sometimes even intentionally sizing up and then like bring them to be tailored to fit your body the right way. Because there is no such thing, obviously, as like a one size fit all fits all in like fast fashion and retail fashion, you know, try to make things for as many people as possible in the most like nobody can afford that. Nobody can but afford I mean, that. Think about it. I'm short. I'm only five two. So when I buy jeans, I probably should be taking them to the tailor and just getting them hemmed at least, you know, like I shouldn't be wearing them where the ankles are maybe slightly bunched or I have to roll them or whatever. Um, or I have to like always wear high heels to make sure they fit the right way. Um, and getting something hemmed doesn't cost a ton of money. I mean, obviously it's a luxury it's a, to it have it, the it disposable at least adds, income. It at least adds 25 to $30. Now, if you have at a Nordstrom least. card, if you got a Nordstrom card, tailoring is free. Um, <laughs> well, I know, so, but we, our closest Nordstrom is, you know, a couple hours away. So ours closed. Thank you, fancy now, girl. It's so sad. Um, I don't, just for the record, I don't do that. I don't have things tailored. <laughs> I just should. And I know that you should. But my point is that the Middleton women seem to just really abide by that. Like every single thing they wear is tailored to perfection, even their most casual clothes. You never see them looking... I, I don't want to use the word like frumpy or anything like that, but like they just always look like every single, you're like, how do they fit every single thing they purchase perfectly? How does every single thing hit at the exactly right spot on their wrist, at the exactly right spot on their ankle? Oh, because they made sure it does. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. Um, well, they, it you, was intentional. You, you and I do not, God love us, we do not have the same disposable income no. that those ladies do. Um, which I mean, gosh, I don't begrudge them that, but it would be lovely. Like I wish I, I mean, I, I look frumpy on a daily basis. Like I'm I'm okay with that. I'm like, I'm okay being the frumpster. Um, well, they've said that even when the kids were little before Carol Middleton was the proprietor of a multi-million dollar company, um, and they were just very, you know, average family living in 
the home counties, um, they like the kids clothes, like other people have said this, like the kids clothes were always perfect. Everything was like perfectly hemmed, perfectly ironed, perfectly tailored. Um, so I think that's just something where like Carol has always just kind of taken a pride of appearance and made sure because, you know, she probably knew how to sew and hem and stuff like that, which is a thing that I think is kind of a lost art. Like I know how to kind of use a sewing machine, but not really, not ever near, not well enough to take it near any of my clothes. Um, but I think Carol probably knew how to sew and made sure her kids' clothes were all perfect, even if they weren't necessarily at that point millionaires and like rolling in disposable income. She just had that pride of appearance and she certainly has passed it on to her daughters. Um, and anyway, it really came out in the tailoring of Pippa's dress. <laughs> because <laughs> All like that said, to say. <laughs> all that to say, her dress was perfect, 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 perfect. Um, and then... The rest of the bridal party, uh, Prince Harry was the best man, which we can get into the drama around that at a later date. Um, and then we had Lady Louise Mountbatten-Windsor, who is the daughter of Prince Edward and Sophie. We had Margarita Armstrong-Jones, who is Viscount Linley. Um, I think actually now he might be the Earl of Snowden, um, but David Armstrong-Jones's daughter. So a cousin of Prince William. That's two cousins of Prince William. Um, Grace Van Cutsum, who was the – who is – she was three years old at the time. She was one of the daughters of one of Prince William's very good friends. Eliza Lopes, who is one of Camilla's granddaughters and therefore William's like step niece, if you want to do it like that. Um, the daughter of one of, of she's the daughter of William's stepsister. William Lowther Pinkerton, who was the son of William's private secretary, JLP, and Tom Pettifer, who was the son of, William and Harry's former nanny, Tiggy, um, who if we ever do a brand breakdown on Charles and Diana's relationship, Tiggy will come up as a big part of it um, for no reason. I just no, love that she name. It's wrong. so cute. It's um, so cute. I know, right? Tiggy. Um, so that was their bridal party. The oldest person in that bridal party was 10 years, 10 years old. William Lowther Pinkerton was 10 years old. So all children except for Pippa and Harry. And again, they all looked phenomenal. Every bridesmaid dress was perfect. Every page boy uniform was absolutely perfect. I don't know how they got a bunch of little kids to behave so well for as long as they had to behave on that day, but they all did it. And the day, a rainy day, seemingly went off without a hitch. Um, the sun came out right as Catherine was getting out of the car on her way into the church. And it was just like... A wonderful, wonderful day. So, so I know we were just talking about tailoring and how Kate and Pippa and Carol all were tailored with an inch of their lives, like forever and ever. So, mm -hmm. can we talk a little bit about the exquisite tailoring of the Alexander McQueen dress that Kate wore for her wedding? Because it was um, fabulous, and it's one of my favorite dresses ever. We can talk a lot about the exquisite tailoring. Um, <laughs> so. That dress was just, it, it. like I swear to you, when I saw it the first time, I was literally teary. It was so beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. And it was everything that you imagine kind of like a princess wedding gown to be without being like over the top Disney princess ball gown, if that makes any sort of sense. Um, you mean like princess dies gown? Yeah, but like this was so much better. I know Princess Diana's oh, dress yeah. was like so iconic, um, but totally. this and well, it was I mean, the eighties girl. It was the eighties. You weren't there. Like the eighties was all about the big poofy dresses. I mean, the saying. poofiness was fine. The problem with Diana's dress that somebody really should have considered before they stuck her in that carriage was that it was all satin, and so it just came out like a wrinkled mess. And really, somebody should have thought about that before they plopped her into a carriage for a however many minute ride because she came out just looking wrinkly and I think if that I bet Diana's dress would have kind of stood the test of time a little bit better and we could have looked past the 80s-ness of it all if she didn't look disheveled <laughs> not her personally like she looked gorgeous but the train of that dress just came out so wrinkled and it was just such a bummer um but Kate's dress 
There had been so much speculation leading up to the wedding day about who the designer of the dress would be. And one of the things I really loved about the whole wedding dress aspect of the wedding is that the royal family, and I assume Catherine, really kind of played into the nobody knows who the designer is aspect of it to the point that when Kate left the Goring Hotel the morning of her wedding, they had erected um, like a like partitions all the way around the doors and kind of in front of the car so that when even when she was getting into the car, nobody could see her dress and nobody would be able to see it until she stepped out of the car at Westminster Abbey. And I just thought that was so f- kind of fun because it just it made sure that the dress remained a complete surprise to the entire general public, obviously, but also to William until like the moment. And I just Couldn't loved you that kind they of see the the lace a little bit when you, she was. You in could the car. see that she was wearing like that her dress had like a lace top because of, you know, like they didn't have her under a blanket or anything. But because of the camera angles on the way there and because of, you know, the position of the seats in front of her and stuff like that, you couldn't see anything beyond her shoulders, basically. So it was like, okay, it's white and it's lace, <laughs> which was kind of like well, yeah, it's a wedding dress, so that's not that's not giving too much away. Um, and I believe you could tell she was wearing a tiara, but you couldn't tell which tiara at the time. Um, which one was it? She wore the Cartier Halo Scroll tiara, which is like one of the smaller tiaras, and I think Princess Anne had worn it when she was like in her late teens, I think she was like 18 or 19 years old when she wore it. And then nobody had really worn it again. And it's a really good, in my opinion, a really good like starter tiara because it's not super heavy. Um, And then she, there had been speculation about whether she was going to wear a tiara or if she was going to wear like a flower crown or something like that. And so when she stepped out of the hotel, it was like, okay, she is wearing a tiara she is wearing white. She is wearing lace. Um, there is a veil, but that was pretty much all we knew. And there had been so much speculation. The bookies, like the odds makers in the UK, were taking bets on who the dressmaker would be. There was speculation that it would be Sarah Burton, who it ultimately was. She was the, the designer at Alexander McQueen. Um, so she ended up being the odds on favorite. They stopped taking bets a couple weeks before the wedding because she was favored so much, but Victoria Beckham, um, Elizabeth Emmanuel, who was one of the designers of princess Diana's dress. Um, the woman who owned the brand Issa, who she had worn her engagement dress. She was one of the front runners. Marquesa was a front runner. Stella McCartney, Bruce Oldfield, who is a favored designer. Um, I think Camilla wears a lot of his dresses and Catherine Walker, who is a favored designer. And Catherine actually wears a lot of her dresses. So there were all of these designers that were kind of in the front running and then ultimately ended up being Sarah Burton for Alexander McQueen, which I remember thinking, like I was surprised that it was McQueen because McQueen is known for being kind of avant-garde and some of the things, especially when um, Alexander was actually alive, Alexander McQueen was actually like alive and doing the designing. The designs were so like funky and avant-garde and non-traditional. So I had been assuming, like I I was kind of thinking it was going to end up being Marquesa or... Victoria Beckham I just and Victoria Beckham hasn't really done any bridal but I just had I was like that's who it's going to be like that's traditional wedding wear um and then when they said it was McQueen I was like whoa so but if you look at her dress you can kind of see she's got like the hip puff out situation and the layering on the train and the pleating on the skirt of the dress you can kind of see where like the little bit of avant-garde details come in in that very like structured way but the dress was still so traditional and classic and it was just like gorgeous like just stunning it was perfect it was like the most elegant but feminine dress Mm -hmm. and and it just fit her so beautifully and her face, I mean, I know she did her own makeup. Her face mm-hmm. just was so adorable. 
Um, and then the tiara was kind of perfect. It didn't overpower the dress. Like the whole thing was just ridiculous. Like she yeah. just looked absolutely gorge. Yeah, it was just absolutely beautiful. Um, the dress itself, you know, we had talked about, you know, tailoring and people having, you know, the appreciation for good tailoring and all of that stuff. The dress was fit to her body. It it looked like, I mean, obviously, right, obviously it was made for her, but they actually made a mannequin of her exact measurements so that as they were making the dress itself it could sit on the mannequin properly and they would know that everything was the exact right measurements etc and they could see it um but that's crazy I know it's insane it's absolutely insane so I'm gonna read here a little bit of the wikipedia article because it talks about the just the construction of the dress which I don't I don't know the construction of it off of the top of my head (laughs) um but it says that the bodice incorporated floral motifs cut from machine-made lace, which were then appliqued onto silk net, which is also known as tulle, I guess, by royal by workers from the Royal School of Needlework, which is based at Hampton Court Palace. There was 58 buttons down the back, and the skirt, underskirt trim, and bridal train, and the bridal train was 110 inches long, um, also had the lace applique. Um, The main body of the dress was made in ivory and white satin using UK fabrics that had been specially sourced by Sarah Burton. And it had a Victorian style semi-bustle at the back and finished in a short train measuring three meters in length. To partially fulfill the something blue portion of the wedding tradition, you know, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, there was blue satin ribbon sewn inside the dress. And the design for the bodice of the dress featuring lace in the style of the 19th century was the something old. That said, I bet also the tiara was the something old <laughs> because like, well, right. That, That'd be it was not new. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then her something new was her earrings, which were given to her by her parents. And the borrowed was also the tiara. So the, I guess oh, the right. tiara, if you're going to say the tar- tiara was one of the two things. Um, and what about I, the veil? Didn't she wear a veil? Didn't it have a veil? Yes. So her veil incorporated a motif of roses, thistles, daffodils, and shamrocks, which are the official flowers of each of the countries of the United Kingdom. So all along the edging of her veil, those had been hand applied to the lace. But the way that they had to put together this dress is just like the amount of meticulous care and attention that went into it is incredible because it says here that every 30 minutes the seamstresses would have to stop washing the dress or stop working on the dress and wash their hands to ensure that the lace and the thread stayed absolutely pristine so I mean I don't know how their hands could have even got dirty if all they're doing is sewing that entire time but every half hour they had to stop and wash their hands and then every three hours they had to switch out their needles to ensure that the needles were always completely sharp and clean and that, you know, there was not going to be any snags or anything like that. So they had to wash like, their hands because your hands have natural oils that continue to produce all day. Yeah, but I mean, would it really make a dress dirty? I mean, I guess if they had Maybe. to wash their hands every 30 minutes, they know something that I certainly did not. Um, but I just, I always think that's like absolutely crazy that they would make them stop every 30 minutes to wash their hands. And it also took them months upon months to finish the dress. The, there was so much secrecy around who was involved that it was like a super secret, um, I was going to say closed door. Obviously, it was closed door. But, like, nobody knew who the designer was. Nobody knew who was working on it. They worked on it, I believe, in a special room at Hampton Court Palace because that's where the Royal School of Needlework is. And then they, like, cordoned off a special section so that, like, nobody could come in or out. Nobody was allowed to see it. And they really kind of, like, leaned into the whole this is going to be a surprise thing, which I just absolutely... Again, I just think that's amazing. And then immediately after the wedding, the dress, the shoes, the veil, and the tiara all went on display at Buckingham Palace. And 
Kate actually had her first um, state banquet or state occasion during that time period. And so we have never seen her wear the Cartier Halo tiara again because it went on display right after the wedding. The dress, the she had her hair done by her like regular hairdresser who did a half up, half down style. And she did her own makeup, like you said, because she had said that she wanted to look like herself. She didn't want to like get to the end of the aisle and have William be looking at somebody that wasn't familiar to him, basically. So her wedding day makeup is pretty much the same makeup that we see her in every single time she does an engagement or something like that. She looked she looked just like her usual self. Um, her parents... Which she can, does a great job, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if my job was to be photographed, I would spend a lot of time making sure I knew exactly the right way to do my makeup um because yeah like she doesn't think think about it like it's not just putting makeup on like today I had a meeting so I put makeup on because I would have a zoom call or whatever she's putting makeup on to be photographed outside and inside so different lighting like I feel like that's very technical like (laughs) like you have to know like all the different because there's different makeup for indoors outdoors heavy lighting soft lighting daytime nighttime whatever whatever and she manages to do it all herself and look amazing and when she's photographed you never have that feeling of like oof, that foundation isn't matching her skin tone the right way or whatever so no for um, sure she looked adorable and her makeup looked great yeah she does an amazing job and then her parents had commissioned a pair of earrings for her which have They're diamond earrings with like a loop at the bottom. I don't know any of the technical terms for this, uh, but they have like a little loop at the bottom. And then inside the loop is acorns. There's an acorn, um, which was to kind of symbolize their family and growing up in Berkshire. Her, um, Her family was issued a coat of arms or her father, I guess, was issued a coat of arms right before the wedding. And so there's acorns on the coat of arms. And then because he was issued a coat of arms, that enabled her to use her family coat of arms so that her and William could have a joint coat of arms. And now I've said that so many times that it sounds weird. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, did they end up um, making him knighting him or making him appear or doing anything like that? Michael Middleton? No, Nope. Michael Middleton is still just regular old just Mr. Mr. Middleton. Yep. Just Mr. Middleton. There has been some speculation that like maybe one day William would do it but I sincerely I I bet William would offer to do it and I'm 100% positive that Michael would probably decline I think the Middletons are just happy to support their daughter and their son-in-law and their grandkids and kind of stay under the radar as much as they do um but speaking of their titles the morning of the wedding is when William was made Duke of Cambridge So that immediately upon her marriage, Catherine became the Duchess of Cambridge. But prior to that, William had just been Prince William of Wales. And the royals do this. It's very kind of, it seems kind of silly to me. Um, Not silly, but it seems confusing almost. They do a lot of like name changing. So from the time of William's birth, he was Prince William of Wales. And then on his wedding day, he was created the Duke of Cambridge, Earl of Strathern, and Baron Carrick Fergus. He was granted those three titles. And so he immediately went from being Prince William of Wales to Prince William, comma, the Duke of Cambridge. And this entitled Catherine to become Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. She was never Duchess Kate. She's not actually even Princess Kate or Princess Catherine. Her royal titles are simply the feminine version of her husband's titles. So she is the Princess of Wales. But he received those titles the morning of the wedding so kate walked into the church as kate middleton and she walked out of the church as her royal highness the duchess of cambridge and that was kind of you know that was like the official start of the next phase of her life so do they call her your highness or your grace your highness she's a royal duchess so she is always your highness and then ma'am thereafter um, or your royal highness and then ma'am thereafter if she was a non-royal duchess she would be your grace so like the like the duke of northumberland for example is your grace his wife 
she's your grace. Um, but royals still remain your highness or your royal highness, even if they're dukes or earls or whatever. All right. So All right. her royal highness mm-hmm. had this absolutely amazing dress. Mm-hmm. Now we're going into the church. We get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Which car did they take? When Kate and her father arrived at Westminster Abbey, they were in the... It was a 1978 Rolls-Royce Phantom 6. And that was a car that had been built to celebrate the Queen's 25th anniversary on the throne. And so that was a car that the Queen very frequently used in her, not in her daily travels, obviously, but for like state occasions and stuff like that. And they arrived there at Westminster Abbey, which had also, Westminster Abbey was the location of Princess Diana's funeral. It's also the location of coronations, which is makes it a really significant location for um, royal events. However, St. Paul's, where Charles and Diana were married, is actually the bigger church. But William and Catherine got married at Westminster, likely because that was where Diana's funeral was held. And I think that for William, that kind of held a special place in his heart. And then when they left the church, they left in the 1902 State Landau. It's upholstered in crimson and decorated with gold leaf. And it's the same carriage that Charles and Diana used after their wedding in 1981. So another little tie-in to his mom. And then after the first reception, they had two receptions. They had like a, I I don't want to say it was a wedding breakfast because I think it was kind of like a more of a brunch situation by that point. And then they had an evening reception later. Um, But after the first reception, they drove away in Prince Charles's navy blue Aston Martin, which had been decorated with ribbons by Prince Harry. He put like ribbons and stickers on it and stuff like that. It was very cute. That's a beautiful car. Mm -hmm. And then Kate had actually changed dresses after the reception. So she had another dress also designed by Sarah Burton for Alexander McQueen that was a strapless satin kind of ball gown not super super puffy but like more of a traditional wedding dress that you would see you know it wasn't as ornate as her big ceremony dress had been and it had a like diamante belt around it and then she wore this little bolero jacket thing over it because it was April and it was still cold in the UK Um, and that dress was also just absolutely gorgeous and I kind of wish we, oh, I think there's only like one or two pictures of it. And I wish we had seen more, but because she wore that to the private reception, we just didn't get a lot of looks at it, unfortunately. I can't find if it was strapless or not. I'm looking at the picture of her second dress now. And I've always thought it was a strapless dress. And now I'm looking at it thinking maybe it's not actually strapless, but we don't really know because there's literally like two pictures of it and that's it. But she looked very beautiful in her second dress as well. And then after their wedding, right, they have this massive wedding. Everyone in the world watches it. There's 1,900 people there, including celebrities, dignitaries, politicians, other royals, all their friends and family. They stayed one night at Buckingham Palace. And then the next day, there was a picture of Kate out grocery shopping, (laughs) which was just like the most normal thing in the entire world and it's always cracked me up because they didn't go on their honeymoon right away why didn't they go on their honeymoon right away i think honestly it was because william had to work um he was still working as an raf search and rescue pilot and he still had to work (laughs) so even though he was like the future king they just couldn't leave for their honeymoon right away yeah so he couldn't request that time off he couldn't be like hey guys like i'm the future king of england i'm getting married i'm gonna go on my honeymoon that seems a little silly by all accounts, William and Harry, for his part, like didn't really get that much special treatment when they were in the military. Um, I think also there's probably a likelihood that they didn't leave right away because it made it a little bit easier to hide it from the press. Like nobody knew exactly when they were leaving. So nobody knew exactly what to look for or when to be looking for it, if that makes any sense. They've never even officially confirmed where they went there are multiple reports that they were in the Seychelles and they had a lovely time. And I think there have been 
some paparazzi, like very, very blurry paparazzi photos that suggest that that's where they were, but it's never been officially confirmed. Well, good for them for having a private honeymoon. Yeah. I, I feel like I, we've talked about it before, how there's so much like, you know, they had to share their entire wedding with us, their entire, like, you know, all of that had to be for public consumption. So I have no problem when they do something privately, you know what I mean? Like they don't owe us everything. They give us enough. And it kind of takes me back to all the things that people are saying right now about Kate surgery and her being sick and like people think there's this big conspiracy about it and why haven't they told us she's okay and why haven't they even given us like one picture of her and it's like because they don't have to like they didn't even have to tell us she was sick other than you know if she just disappeared off the face of the earth that would be really weird and so they told us she had surgery that's it they don't know us anything more than that like they've given us everything else for 20 years it's enough to let them be sick in private <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't think that we need to be privy to every single moment of their lives and especially their children's lives. All right, so moving on. So we well, we know all about the dress. So then um, mm -hmm. did Michael Middleton walk her down the aisle or did she walk herself down the aisle? I can't remember. I literally can't remember. Yeah, so Michael Middleton walked her down the aisle. Pippa was her bridesmaid. Her brother, James, did a reading during the ceremony. Um, and it was all... For as big and large and grandiose as the wedding was, it was all also very like traditional and kind of the same, you know, because at the end of the day, a wedding in a church is a religious ceremony. So it all kind of follows the same playbook, right? So the wedding, although it was being officiated by the Archbishop of Canterbury and, you know, the queen was in attendance and all of this stuff, it was still a wedding. They still kind of followed the same playbook. Granted, they had trees put up in Westminster Abbey and they had special um, fragrances brought in according to popular myth. Um, but, you know, her dad walked her down the aisle. Her brother did a reading. Her mom was sitting there looking just like the glowing mother of the bride. Um, and it was all just very sweet. And then you, you know, the camera pans away from the family and you see the queen and the whole British royal family and then members of other royal families. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, this isn't just two kids in love this is this is a big deal a huge deal well and I think that the two kids in love I think by the time you've been together for what they had already been together for like 10 years at this point right um yeah I think I think it was like eight years yeah so yes there are two kids in love but there are also two kids that love l-o-v-e not like in love they're like I love you you're my partner you know, here are the things that we're doing. It's different if you've dated for that long. You know what I mean? The first flush of yeah. hormones and all the oxytocin and all that is out of the way. Now you're like, okay, we're partners. For sure. Like Chuck and I, when we got married, we had been dating for eight years. We got married on our eight year anniversary. So by that oh, point, it was like, like I was still, obviously I was still very excited for my wedding day. It was like the happiest day of my life and all of that stuff. And I was still nervous and whatever, but yeah, it wasn't like a, yeah, like I, you're eight years in, it's like a different, it's like a, almost like a being excited, but be feeling very calm about it. Cause like, you're not nervous in a way of like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect. You're just nervous in a way of like, oh, do like I have to stand up in front of a lot of people. That's nerve wracking, <laughs> but you have a sense of calm of like, I know what I'm doing and this is like the right thing to do. And I imagine that for someone marrying into the royal family, when you're standing in front of almost 2,000 people, yes, you're nervous about standing up in front of all those people, but you're not nervous about, hopefully, you're not nervous about what you're doing, especially for William and Kate, because they had been together for so long. So this wasn't, and Kate had seen so many of the ins and outs of what William's life was like as a working royal that she knew what to expect and she knew what she was signing up for. So she seemed right. thrilled and excited. Not, I never ever got a sense of like nervousness from her looking at any oh, pictures no. of her uh -huh. on her wedding day or anything like that. Me either. No. Um, different from our other Royal couple that we often talk about who <laughs> did not date that long. We're not engaged that long. And then 
left the royal family right away. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a little bit a little bit different for them. They were fully unprepared for what they were going into, clearly. Um, other than yeah, the marriage sure. part, you know. But anyway. So Michael Middleton walks her down the aisle. They have sort of a traditional wedding, but yet the royal family's all on one side checking them out. They leave, mm-hmm. she changes dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to like a ball, I guess. Was it like a ball that they had for their reception? Um, no, I mean it was a so the, I mean, the reception that people. happened well, the reception that happened right immediately after the ceremony was a really large reception. I think most of the guests who had been invited to the church, probably not the um representatives from their charities and stuff like that, but politicians, dignitaries, friends and family, those folks were all invited to the reception that happened pretty immediately after. I mean, they did their big, huge drive around London in the carriage and stuff like that. They did the balcony kiss and all of that stuff. Um, but then all many of those folks were invited to the reception that happened after. The reception that happened in the evening was much smaller. I think it was I think it was like 400 people, maybe even less than that, actually. Kind of your more like traditional wedding size. It's still pretty huge. I'm pretty sure her cheeks hurt for a few days after that. Oh my gosh, yeah. There was 600 people at the luncheon that was hosted at Buckingham Palace right after the wedding. And then there was another 300 people that were at the evening reception that was hosted by the Prince of Wales. And that 300 person evening reception was much more probably what we are familiar with as a typical wedding reception. They had a sit down dinner, there was cocktails, and then there was dancing. And I mean, Ellie Golding, I believe performed at their wedding. So it wasn't, you know, like some DJ or some local wedding band. (laughs) It was one of the um, highest selling performers (laughs) that we currently have available to us, Um, like pop star. But it was a much more, you know, normal-ish wedding celebration, although it was held at Buckingham Palace as well, so not s- still out of the ordinary. <laughs> Do you think on the invitation they had a little enclosure card that said chicken or fish? <laughs> and, then you had, um, and then you had to sign it, like, Mr. and Mrs. Fancy <laughs> Like delightfully accepts or regretfully declines. Um, Right. I accepts with pleasure. Accepts accepts with with pleasure. pleasure. Yes. Um, You know, I I imagine that whatever they did for the catering situation was similar to what they do for um, like the state banquets that have more than three hundred people, where it's kind of like here's the menu. You don't get a choice because we have to feed 600 people all at the same time. <laughs> so here's what we've do we got. Have, I mean, do we know what was on the menu? Man, I'd love to know. Was it like, you know, beef wellington or prime rib or, you know, trout? Catfish. Trout. trout. <laughs> uh, probably did they, wasn't Did they have trout. some like pigs in a blanket? <laughs> I do have a copy here. Oh, God, that would be amazing. (laughs) They're like, here, have some crab cakes. Beanie weenies. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Now I'm cracking myself up. So sorry. Some fish and chips. (laughs) Do you think they would have, like, wrapped them in the newspaper like they get when they go to the fish and chip stand? I'm just... I'm just cracking myself up over here, just imagining if they'd had like things we would serve in the South, like some little tomato cheese sandwiches. And oh, (laughs) they definitely did not. They definitely. So here, here is what was served. (laughs) Here is what they served. Uh, So a copy of their wedding menu went up for auction, and it says that they had a salad of South. U.S. salmon, lime bay crab, and Hebridean langoustines, followed by a main course of North Highland organic lamb with spring vegetables, sides of English asparagus and Jersey royal potatoes, and a trio of desserts including Berkshire honey ice cream, sherry trifle, and chocolate parfait. So I have no idea what any of those words meant. 
Oh, come on. Don't be sad. I know. I'm sad about the lambs. Although I do love lamb, but I'm always sad about them. It's like sad about the lambs. So I think this is a great place to kind of wrap up here with the food because who doesn't want to wrap up with food? Um, (laughs) And I just want everybody to envision that Kate was eating like cucumber sandwiches and some... (laughs) What else would what else would you what would you eat at a southern wedding? I'm trying to think, some barbecue. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, some, can you imagine some Kate Middleton in her gorgeous dress one. eating like barbecue ribs? <laughs> oh, it would Probably be not. amazing. Anyway, so I guess we'll pick back up on this um, next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, the beginning of their marriage, right? The end of their wedding, the beginning of their marriage. Yeah, Hope you all have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Woo!